I, we're going to go from Philemon, which is a, a letter that Paul had, had written to Philemon, basically, and if you were here, we learned a lot about Onesimus last week, um, and if you did not, were not here, you can listen to that on the podcast, or you could read the small book of Philemon and find out exactly what it's about, so, uh, but, wanted, but we're going to jump into Galatians, and I wanted to kind of start uh, last week, but then as I got into uh, studying Galatians here, I, there's a lot leading into it, and I wanted to make sure that I had a strong, strong footing on this, and so I, I, I just took a little extra time, and so uh, Galatians, uh, int- the introduction basically to it is, it's most likely Paul's first written uh, book uh, or epistle in the New Testament was probably written around 49 AD. Anybody remember 49 AD? Good, no one raised their hand. All right, that's good. <laughs> um, it was written to the Galatians, surprise, right? Uh, which was not a city, um, it's not a city, it was a region, um, it's, it's kind of unique, most of the time Paul is usually writing to a city or to a person, uh, but this is actually to a region, um, it, so it would be kind of like a, a county or, or a state to us, and so, um, so you kind of get a little reference there, the Galatians was uh, a people from which, who Julius Caesar said, shouldn't be trusted, how many know some people that you shouldn't trust? All right, good. You didn't answer. All right. You understood what James said. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, be slow to speak. Perfect. You guys You guys are getting it. All right. Uh, originally, uh, the people of Galatia, they were from uh, Gaul, which is present-day France, and they migrated southeast to uh, where the Galatians actually were, which is present-day Turkey. And... Um, uh, the people there were fickle by nature. When Paul healed a lame man in Acts chapter 14, uh, they bowed to him and worshipped him as, as Jupiter, talking about, you know, they, they worshipped the planets. And um, that, was, that was in the morning. That evening, those same people had rocks and threw rocks at Paul and left him for dead outside the city. So a fickle group. Sounds like some people in America, doesn't it? All right, I'm going to leave that one alone right there. Um, and so they were a little bit fickled, and the theme of Galatians, uh, if, you're, if you want to have a theme, is, is this. Christians are free from the Jewish law. <laughs> Just plain and simple. Christians are free from the Jewish law, and uh, it, can broken, it can be broken into three parts. Chapter 1 and 2, uh, Paul writes his personal experience with grace. Uh, chapters 3 and 4, Paul addresses doctrinal uh, instruction about grace. And chapter 5 and 6, Paul gives practical application of grace. Everyone say, this is all about grace. All right. Um, Galatians starts with, the, with, with tension concerning uh, the Jerusalem Christian leaders. I kind of alluded to this, Peter, James, and John. Not, Jan, John, uh, not James, John's brother, but James, Jesus' brother. Uh, and they're in a tension with the northern sect of Christians out of Antioch. I'm sorry, Antioch, which is Barnabas, Titus, Timothy, and Paul. And Paul's, um, Paul is a champion for grace. And how many are thankful for grace over your life? If you're here, you should raise your hand. <laughs> and Paul is a champion for grace. And uh, in his writings, he mentions grace. I think I mentioned this last week. He mentions grace in his writings 100 times. He talks about grace. Um, that's the emphasis of what he's talking about. All the other uh, books in the New Testament, all the other writers mention grace only 55 times. So Paul alone 
talks about grace more than any other writer in the New Testament. So um, keeping keeping to that, uh, while it may seem Paul is in a confrontation with Peter at the beginning of this book, uh, you know, and some people try to make it into that. I don't, I'm not going to say it, it was or wasn't, number one, because I wasn't there. But I really feel like that I believe it's more like an iron sharpening iron kind of thing. How many know that we can learn from anybody? How many have, have learned some valuable lessons from your kids? All right. So we can learn from anybody, right, at any given moment. So, and so they're kind of in this a little bit of a confrontational moment. He indeed is not, uh, I don't think he's dealing with confrontation, but he's dealing with a situation concerning the Jewish Christians um, and the group of leaders who keep following after him. So Paul, when he would go and minister somewhere, he would preach, and then he would move on to the next place. When he would leave, this, this group of Jewish Christians would come along, and they would say, hey, Paul is teaching you this, he's teaching you salvation, and all that's great, but here's what you guys need to know. Even though you're Gentiles, you guys need to follow the rules and the regulations that, that the Jews have. So to, to be saved, to be fulfilled, to be completely saved, Number one, you need to be circumcised, and you need to watch what you eat, and you need to do all these things that Jewish tradition had, had put on. And so, so after Paul would come, and they would have great revival, and people would come to know Christ, these people would come behind and cause confusion. How many know that the enemy wants to cause confusion? All right, and the enemy will use people sometimes to cause com confusion. I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago about wolves being in sheep's clothing. And oftentimes you need to listen to people and you need to be, uh, you know, I think you just need to have a little a healthy skepticism sometimes. I mean, I think sometimes we need to be gracious to people. Sometimes things can be taken out of context. We know that in today's society people could take a sound bite and twist something and make, make someone say something that they didn't say. Um, but I think you need to just be able to line up what someone says to the word of God. That's it, plain and simple. Say, well, how do I do that? You get into the Word of God, then you'll know what the Word of God says, then you can make a comparison. So, um, so Paul here um, is he, he's he's uh, he's there, and there's a group of leaders, and there, there's this confrontation between the two, and all these people keep following Paul um, after after he's preaching to the Gentiles, and they're telling, hey, you need to be kosher, you need to be circumcised, you need to live under the law. And Peter, uh, being from Jerusalem, was was uh, was prompted to teach to the the Jews there in Jerusalem. So that's where remember Jesus told the the Jews in Jerusalem to what stay. Remember I, I talked about Sunday. Everybody, hello Sunday. <laughs> Sunday he he gave them directions. He said stay, wait, you know, and then receive. Um, so so there you find Peter. So uh, his ministry was more geared, Peter's ministry was more geared towards the Jews, okay, the Christian believers that were Jewish people, you know, uh, and so we got to understand that, and Paul's ministry being, he was a converted Jew, but he probably wasn't welcomed by the Christians, you want to know why? He persecuted them, before he was saved and converted, he used to Go out and find them, persecute them, put them on trial. And, uh, and so he probably wasn't welcome. How many would welcome somebody that broke into your house? Probably not. So you understand why 
some of the some of the early Jewish Christians were like a little bit little bit nervous with Paul, just a little bit. Um, the key is uh, Peter and Paul; they're not at odds with each other. Okay, the key is balance here between the two of them. Anything in Scripture needs to be balanced. Uh, if it gets lopsided, you get legalism. If it gets lopsided the other way, you you get just a free grace. <laughs> Greasy grace is kind of like what I like to call it. Um, there's a statement that I have at the end of end of this. I'm gonna say it right now, so we'll we'll pass the time here. Grace means uh, we are free from sin, not to sin. All right, you got me. All right, grace. Grace means we are free from sin, not to sin. And so there's a there's a there's a difference there. And so I we when we look at this, we need to understand balance. Everyone say balance. Um, so the key here is balance. And the Roman Catholics. Um, anybody have any Roman Catholic friends? All right, maybe a few of you. Uh, Roman Catholics they elevate Peter. Uh, they call him the first pope. Um, I'm going to address that in a minute, and because they they kind of bring him up to a a, a, a point of place. And here's the thing, uh, Paul, without his bulldog tenacity here, uh, with grace, the way that he deals with grace, we might be uh, looking at a Christianity that has a whole lot of uh, legalism with with the, the Jewish laws. Okay. But because Paul addressed grace the way that he addressed grace, he was he was able to uh, do that. So we're going to look into that. Um, three things here I want to bring out here before we get going. Three main pillars can be made uh, in the New Testament church. Paul, and you can write this down. This is this is pretty cool. Paul is the apostle of faith. How many know that uh, Paul wrote in Romans one seventeen, "The just shall live by." Martin Luther was a big fan of that. All right, and uh, so Paul is the apostle of faith. Uh, Peter can be described as the apostle of hope, and he always declared uh, that we have hope in Jesus Christ. First Peter one three says that. And then uh, another person that can quietly, not quite as much as as Peter and Paul. If you look up the the names that are mentioned in the New Testament the most, um, Peter and Paul are the two uh, that are mentioned greatly in the New. I mean, Jesus is probably the, the number one, but Peter and Paul are right there, uh, uh, but the third person is John, not quite as much known, but he is the apostle of love, the apostle of love, so, uh, and if you want to know about the love of Jesus, go ahead and read the book of John, he really tells you who, who Jesus is, because that's John 3.16, can we quote that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believe in him shall not, what, perish, but have everlasting God so what? Loved. Okay, so uh, that's where we get that verse. Most of us could quote that one. Um, and it's, uh, so it's, I think God knew what he was doing when he kind of established uh, these guys, these apostles, because Paul, full of faith, uh, Peter, full of hope, and John, full of love. So, I, man, it's a theme that God has just been giving me here lately is faith, hope, and love. And so I, I think you got to have all three of those as a church. So Galatians chapter 1, um, and it starts with a greeting, as Paul always does. Hey. Um, and he introduces himself. And so he says, Paul, an apostle, um, 
not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So uh, Paul introduces himself usually in one of two ways. Uh, he'll say this statement as a servanter, uh, a servanter, a servant or prisoner. I mixed two words there, servanter. Servant or prisoner uh, of Christ. He'll usually say that, I'm a servant of Christ. He said that in Philippians. How many remember that? I do. Uh, Romans, he says that. Philemon, he actually said that. Titus, he says that. And, and then the other way that he usually gre uh, will greet a group is he'll say, as an apostle, he does that here at, in, with his uh, Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians. And uh, why to those he welcomed his ministry, he called, he, he called himself a servant. So it's amazing to me, this book, when he is about to deal with something tough, you want to know if Paul's going to deal with something tough or he's going to, if he's going to, you know, if he addresses himself as an apostle of Christ, that means he's about to bring the mail. He's, he's throwing his title around a little bit. He's, he's, about to, he's about to lay the law down, okay? How many know that old song, I fought the law and the law won? All right, so Paul's, Paul's about to throw the law around there. Not, not, not legally the law, okay? I'm, man, too many laws. I'm going to get you guys confused. So, uh, but, so to those who challenge his authority, so Paul, he, he's calling himself apostle. So he's writing to the Galatians here, and he's warning them specifically of this group that is coming in behind him causing confusion. And these Jewish leaders uh, who were following Paul around and preaching the three R's, rules, regulations, and rituals, um, and there they are. They're trying to undermine his message. The enemy wants nothing more than to undermine the message of Jesus Christ and his grace. All right? So Paul is to quit. He's really quick to show his authority here as an apostle of Jesus Christ and not to man. You know, men didn't call him. Jesus Christ called him. And there's a difference there, okay? So verse 2 says this. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace. Again, if you were here last week, you heard me say this. Paul's good at this. He links grace and peace together. Look at the intro to all of the books that he writes. He always he brings grace and peace together. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Ephesians, he does that. Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and Philemon, okay? So grace and and peace. If you want peace in your life, you need to understand the grace of God in your life. All right? And you'll never know peace without understanding God's grace. So what is grace? You can write this down. Unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Unmerited, undeserved, or unearned favor. Uh, the old acrostic, uh, you know, um, grace, G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that. How many like that? I like that. God, that's what grace is. So the grace of God always brings the peace of God. All right. Um, the next portion of that scripture says, From God our Father and the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So God... Um, just kind of give you a little context here. God placed the custody of the world in Adam and Eve's hands. He did. He said, here you go. Uh, this is, you have the ability. And here's what they did. They fumbled the ball at, on the goal line, on the, first, on the one yard line. They just, they just dropped the ball. How many know sometimes our human nature, just we just mess up. And so when they dropped the ball, 
um, uh, and they fell, and they, and, and, and they in turn transferred ownership of this world to Satan. And here's what we need to understand, the, uh, the one who they submitted to. So that, that is why when Satan tempted Jesus, think about this, think about this. When Satan tempted Jesus, he offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world. He did. You, you guys remember the story? He said, you know, I, hey, if you'll bow down before me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the That tells me, and Jesus didn't fight him on that. Jesus knew that he had the authority to do that, but, you know, Jesus didn't, he, he didn't fall to the old bait of, of the devil there, and, of course, he's not going to do that. Um, so here's, here's, my, here's my issue, and this is what I do, this is what we do. If someone um, blames God for, for the condition of the world, how many have ever said, why would God let that happen? Anybody ever heard that? How could God let that happen? If someone blames the condition of the world they're, they have an ignorance of the history of the world. Because what happened was the Lord placed it in Adam and Eve's hand. Adam and Eve failed. They sinned. Guess what? Satan has dominion over the world. Does that mean he can only do what God will allow him to do? He has parameters. The Lord will, will stop him if he, if he needs to and wants to. But here's what we need to understand is Satan, uh, so Satan has done that. So people will excuse their behavior. Now, look at this. Look at me here. People will excuse their behavior saying, it's not my fault. I'm made that way. I know that's tough. You're getting some hard truth here, but that's a lie of the enemy. All right. And when you understand in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, do you remember what was happening in the days of Noah? Oh, man, the world was crazy. We think it's crazy now. It was crazy then. And God only spared a handful of people in the whole world because it was so messed up. Do you remember what happened in the days of Lot there at Sodom and Gomorrah? People were vile and people were, were uh, uh, perverted and doing perverted things. And so we need to understand something there. We live in a fallen world. How many know that? All right. But here's the good news. Jesus died for our sins that he could deliver us from this broken system. That's it. That's plain and simple. There's the good news. All right. We had some bad news. Now we got great news, right? So verse 5 says this. To whom uh, the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I believe and I'm convinced that uh, how many believe that we're on the verge of the rapture of the church? Come, come, Lord. Come quickly. That's, that's my prayer. That's really the older I get, the more I, 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 you know, my parents used to say that all the time when I was growing up. I didn't understand. Now I understand. Man, Lord, you know what? If you'll just come, everything will be made right. We'll all be, everything will be back in order and everything will be good. And I'll have a new body and I'll have more hair. And I'll have a 28-inch waist again. (laughs) Amen. That's not selfish. That's not the reason I want to go to heaven. But all right. So, and then he goes to verse 6, and he, and he starts talking about no other gospel. And he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. So Paul's just kind of matter of fact saying, hey, listen, so you were saved by God's grace. How are you shifting so fast to a doctrine, a different doctrine? How are you, how are you getting away from what you were just taught, I was just there. So here, just like he did in, in, in Philippi, men have come along behind Paul, and they're causing all kinds of confusion. And um, 
And so he is just kind of addressing the elephant in the room. He's calling it out. How many know sometimes we just need the elephant in the room addressed and called out? Right? So, and, 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 he, and we, oftentimes we are glad that we're saved, but it's, it's not that simple. You need, uh, you know, and these guys are saying, hey, we're glad that you're saved. We're, we don't necessarily disagree with what Paul is saying, but you need to follow these rules and you need to follow these, these regulations. You get it. To be saved, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do that. Watch out for the to-do list. If someone's giving you a to-do list to be saved, they're wrong. All right? All right. So Paul, he's warning of this. He'd say, if you really want to be spiritual, they were saying this, if you really want to be spiritual, you need to eat this way. How many know that's baloney? And baloney's not kosher, just so you know. <laughs> a little pun for some of you caught that. Some of you that flew way over your head. All right. Uh, again, it's not about rules, it's not about regu regulations, and it's not about rituals, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. What I like about Paul, he takes things that seem complicated, and he just simplifies it. You want to simplify the gospel? Love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, all the law hangs on those two things, right there. Love the Lord God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to simplify the gospel? Love everybody. Love the Republican. Love the Democrat. Love the black person. Love the white person. Love the gay person. All right, I know that's, that's, that's good. You guys are nodding, but I hope you're getting it in your heart. So Paul's saying this. Uh, he's telling these, these to the Galatians. He's saying, stop. Trying to change the gospel. It's simple. Love God. Love others. It's that simple. So, uh, but there are some, it says this, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the Greek word here uh, for trouble literally means seasick. That's what it does. It means that. So, but there are some who are seasick and want to distort the gospel of Christ. How many have ever had motion sickness? How many love motion sickness? Anybody love to get on a boat and get motion sickness? I got a great story with Trista. I think I've told it <laughs> with her getting motion. I won't go into that right now. All right. Um, so look at this. The, the word trouble there is the same word used in Matthew 14, 26 when they were troubled by the storm and Jesus came walking along to them on top of the water. They were troubled. So they were, they were seasick. Uh, it means queasiness. All right. Uh, verse 8 says this. Uh, even, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. I'm going to read that again. Look at this. But even if we, he puts himself in that category, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now look at, look at this. Paul says the same thing twice. There's a reason. He's telling them, hey, don't, don't look at somebody. Somebody's got a new doctrine over here. Somebody says, hey, this is the new way. Hey, I've got a, I've got a new uh, uh, testament that God's given. Listen. Paul is saying, it ain't true, it's a lie, don't follow them, 
Don't be deceived by anyone who preaches anything but the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what that is? When you, when you stand your ground, you, when you're sure-footed in who you are in Christ. How many know that we need that tenacity in the church again? Oftentimes we're pulled by this doctrine and we're pulled by this doctrine. And if it fits us, we like this. And if it fits this, it's this. And really the truth of the matter is the gospel shouldn't fit on us. We should fit to the gospel. All right, that was better. Hey, that was better than what you gave me. But I'll take the few people that agreed with me. This is a good verse for some of you. And I, and I don't, I don't want to call out people here. But, but I don't want you to be deceived either. This is a good verse to point out to those who believe that an angel named Moroni appeared to a man in 1823 named Joseph Smith who came to restore God's church and gave them a New Testament called the book of, all right, it's on the recording. You guys said it. I didn't say it. I'll say it. No other doctrine, whether it's from man or a how many know that there are <laughs> doctrines that demons give? All right. Timothy talks about that. Uh, and it says, it, it, he says this, not just angels, but men. How many know who uh, Hubbard from the founder of Scientology? Anybody know? Have you ever read up on Scientology? I've been, I've been doing some, some studying on Scientology, not because I'm interested in it, because I, the fallacy of it. Okay, the fallacy of it. I, I, I want to wrap my head around it. I, I went to, when I lived in California, I went to Hollywood. Anybody ever been to Hollywood? It's not as glamorous as you think. And I remember going down Hollywood uh, and going down Sunset Boulevard, and there um, was a Scientology, I don't know, I won't even call it a church, a building there. And they, they always get you, hey, we'll come in and, and take this uh, personality test and come. We want to find out this about you. And that's how they kind of get you in. Uh, but... And they tried to do that. And I remember walking by there and being a young man, and this guy just popped up right in front of my face like they do in California. Just weird. How many know about personal space? This guy did not. He, like, literally got up in my face, and he's like, hey, can I tell you about Scientology? And I was like, man, I'm about to tell you about the backside of my fist if you don't get away from me. I know. I was walking in Holy Ghost indignation right there. But, you know, Hubbard, he says this. He's the founder of Scientology and he believes he's coming back, and I'm going to tell you that's a fallacy. But he says this, you, you could pay your way to heaven. How many know that's a lie? All right. So, and listen, I could go on. I could go on and on different religions that pervert, uh, pervert the gospel and, and try, to, try to bend it. And, and let me tell you something. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's wrong. All right. You just establish that in your heart. Just establish. Does that mean you can't love on people? No. Does that mean that you stand your ground? Yes. Do you think Paul loved everybody? Even the people that were coming in behind him. I promise you he would have preached the gospel to those guys and said, hey, let me set you guys straight. He even loved them. So, uh, and, and here's the thing. So, older, seemingly wise, so-called apostles or prophets, um, oftentimes, you know, how many have had a mentor or maybe you thought they were a mentor? And they begin to speak into your life, and they've given you, I've seen this because I've been in church a while. I've seen people, be they get a mentor, and not necessarily, be careful who your mentors are. I'm going to start right there. I'm trying to say something here. 
Uh, be careful who your mentor, mentors are because if they cannot get themselves established in a church underneath some other leadership, they probably don't need to be your mentor. Okay, so number one, if they're standing alone on an island, you probably need to steer clear of that person. So I remember a young man in our youth group who was having some issues, and he began to allow this uh, man begin to mentor him. He was he was he was a little bit hungry for for mentorship. Not that we didn't provide that. He was just looking, and so and this man began to profess doctrine to him, and doctrine and doctrine, and he got so messed up in his theology and then got combative about things and i said man at the end of the day it's jesus christ him crucified him raising from the that's what it is and and i watched i watched this young man just take a really hard turn this way and i believe you know i, I believe god helps discipline us but what am i why am i saying all that know who your mentors are and if they will not come into submission to somebody Check, your, check, check them out, okay? They're probably not a good mentor. All right, moving on. Um, and the, the reason that I, I wanted to kind of camp on that point is we live in a day where a lot of people want to practice customs and traditions that seem spiritually right but are not scriptural. It happens all the time, and so we, we need, you need to be careful. A good rule of thumb, and here I'll just give you this, a good rule of thumb doctrinally if you're not sure about something, number one, did Jesus do it? If Jesus didn't do it, you can't find a place where Jesus talked about it, didn't do it. That might be number one, all right, that you might, you might want to not, not deal with. Okay, here's the second thing you can look at. If, 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 did the early church do it or did they continue to do it? So those are two things you need to look at. So, so if, it, if it's a little fuzzy and, and neither one of them did that, then doctrinally, it's probably not good for us. So there's a little, little rule of thumb for me. Verse 10 says this. For I am now seeking the appro- I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Let me ask you this. Are you seeking God's approval or are you seeking man's approval? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would be not be a servant of Christ. So Paul's drawing the line here, saying, listen. I don't care what men say. I know who called me, and I know why I'm here. All right? He's saying those guys that are saying these things behind my back after I leave, and they're trying to, to push the doctrine of grace, uh, uh, you know, say that it's not right, that you have to do this, 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 this. They're wrong. And so he's calling them out. Religious people uh, may come down and uh, on me, and he's saying this, and they may call me narrow-minded and simple, but Paul's like, I'm okay with that because I know who I am in Christ. Um, I got to please God. I don't care about pleasing man. If he, if he was concerned about pleasing man, would he have went to jail? No, he would have been like, I, I don't want to go to jail because I don't want to make – I don't want to make Caesar mad. I don't want to make all these people mad. He wasn't worried about that. He was worried about one thing, and he was a servant of Christ. And his only thing that he was worried about was people coming to know the grace of Jesus Christ. So, and this, here's a little tidbit. You, you, you can write this down. We are either in fear of man or the fear of the Lord. You're either in the fear of man or the fear of the Lord. I, I'll give you some verses. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. The fear of man is a snare. 
when we're worried about what people think, when we're worried about what men or mankind thinks, guess what? It is a snare to us. So look at this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, it's Proverbs 9, 10. So you're either going to walk in one or you're going to walk in other. I don't know about you, but I choose to walk in the fear of the Lord today. Amen. All right. Verse 11 says this. Uh, for I would have I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not what a uh, man's, not a man's. All right. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a, a revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that. So Paul would say this: I shared with you. Not as someone taught me. Now, l listen. And so I, I want to address this. So Paul didn't go to, go to Jerusalem to learn from uh, Peter, James, and John. He, I mean, they did meet, okay? They did meet. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into that in a little bit in the next chapter. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get there tonight. But he didn't, he didn't get there. He didn't get his knowledge from someone else. He got his knowledge from a revelation of Jesus Christ. How many want a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ? All right. Uh, the gospel, man, it is, it is so radical in its simplicity and its authority. Let, think about this. Imagine being a Jew in that day, and you would go to these uh, three festivals a year, and then you would go and have a lamb atone for your sin, uh, you know, at least once a year. So, so there you are. That's, you, you have this down. You are a believer in the Torah, and then all of a sudden this 30-year-old Jewish carpenter shows up and is like, hey, I have a better way. You know how radical that would seem to them? I mean, that's why Jesus fought opposition because oftentimes, I don't know about you, and if you were to put yourself in, in, in I mean, now just, just consider that you were a Jew at that time, which side of the, the, the ball or the side of the court would you be on? I think a lot of us would struggle and be like, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to what I know versus what, what you're telling me. So a fresh revelation, sometimes there's a struggle inside of us. All right? So look at this. Uh, in, in verses 111, we saw God's grace declared in Paul's message. In verse 12, we can see God's grace being depicted and shown in, in Paul's life. So he looks at this. Next portion of this, he's talking about his life. Verse 13 says this. For, for you have heard my former life in, in Juda Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Told you, Paul was mean. Before he got saved, he was mean. Some of you are like, some of you were mean before you got saved. Some of you might still be a little bit mean while you're saved. You work on that one. All right. And, and I was advancing in Judaism be, beyond my very own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So, so Paul's saying this. Hey, you know my story. Hey, I was, a, I was a radical Jew. I was a Pharisee's Pharisee. That's what I was. I wanted to be in the middle. of. I was, I was on my way. I was, I was so good at I was 4.0 in the Pharisee school. I was summa cum laude. And, and here's, he, I wreaked havoc and on the church and, and looking for Christians to put into trials and to persecute them. You can look that up at Acts chapter 9 if you want. Verse 15 says this. But when he, uh, when he who had set me apart from before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. How many are glad 
that the Lord revealed his son to you. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So look at this. Even though I was a Jew's Jew, God had something else in mind for me. Okay? Even though I had it all figured out. Hey, I was going to go. I was going to go to Hebrew U. That's where I was going to go there in Jerusalem. That was that was a school that I of my choice. Okay, I was going to, I was going to be the best Jew that I could. I was going to go so far as to continue to persecute the Christians because they were a threat to me. Look at this. Yet, uh, yes, and he says this from my mother's womb. I was called to minister the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you this. Many of you don't realize this. Once you get this revelation in your heart, you were called from your mother's womb to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what do you mean by that? That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be up here preaching, but you could preach the gospel at your work by how you live, by how you react to situations. You could preach the gospel each and every day. So look at this. And he says this, I got sidetracked by religion. Oh, how many have ever got sidetracked by religion? Oh, some of you aren't being very honest right now. We've all, and if we're not careful, we could all fall prey to that. Because oftentimes when we have systems that that men have kind of helped establish things, there's all these rules and regulations. And we, we put all these things, but we have to be careful we have to be careful. There's a balance to that because if we're not care- careful, that forfeit or we move to legalism, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do that. Then God can use you. That's not what grace says. It's not what grace says. So, so God knew Paul and he had ordained him to be a gospel preacher long before Paul even realized it. And you know God wants to use you. Say, oh, I don't know if God could use me. Yes, he can. If he can turn a guy who would kill Christians into a guy who would convert people to Christianity, he can use you. All right, says this. uh, I did not immediately consult with anyone, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia. So Paul's telling this story here. He is basically... Uh, converted on the Damascus Road. How many know that story? He's there, and he's going, he's going to actually persecute Christians, and he has a uh, Christophany, or I, I like to say, they say, some translations say angel. I, I believe he saw Jesus Christ on that road. He was blinded, and, and he had a, a conversion in his heart. So he goes from going to persecute Christians, then he's blinded, then he has to go stay in a Christian's house, blinded for a few days. Oh, God's got a sense of humor. God will humble you. God will bring you down. So, so there's Paul. So, and, and he he has this religious in religious circles. You know, when you have your uh, a doctorate of divinity, man, you're somebody. That means you you know some stuff. All right, I I am far from a doctorate of divinity. Okay, but look at this. I think Paul had a DD. I think he did. I think his was a doctorate of the desert, because what happens here after Paul has been converted, he is sent out to the desert, Arabia. He's out. Nah, Many believe that he's out where Sinai is, where Moses received the law. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, God's pretty cool how he, how he does things. I could tell you some other people who had a doctorate of the desert. Uh, Moses had one. He spent 40 years out in the desert. I can tell you another person who had a doctorate of the desert. That was John the Baptist. Some would call him crazy. He'd be happy right now with all the cicadas. He'd be eating, living large, wouldn't he? He'd be like, the Lord's so good to me right now. I just thought about that. I don't know why I thought about that. See, you can be thankful about anything right now, right? 
Um, and, and then Jesus spent some time out in the desert as well. So, I mean, there's some, don't, don't be afraid of the dry places. God may be refining something in you. He may be working something in you. Look at this. Uh, and, and, and so three years, Paul sat in the desert, and he learned from Jesus. Did you guys know that? He did. So three years, he's all by himself. He's out there in the desert learning from Jesus firsthand. How many would love to just sit in on that? I think that's pretty awesome. So, so that's why Paul is so radical. He had an amazing experience, an amazing conversion. So there he is. And, and so that he, uh, and so and he says this, he says, I hope that, uh, that while we go through, uh, uh, well, this is what I say. Let me, let me rephrase that. I hope that while we go through Galatians, that Galatians will go through us. What do you mean by that? The truth in this book would free us from religiosity. I don't even know if that's a word. From traditions, from things that we've made idols. Can you say that, PJ? Yeah. And I pray that God would break us free from some of those things. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Then when we see a lot of things that have become traditional, that, that, uh, that I say this, Lord, just, just blow them out of the water because we don't need that extra stuff in our life. Amen. So it says this, and returned again to Damascus. So there's, there's Paul. He's three years out in the desert. He returns to Damascus. Then after three years, I, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. And, and uh, Cephas, that's another good name to name your dog, okay, just so you guys know. I'm, I'm, you're always looking for dog names. Cephas is a great name. It's, it's, that's, that's a good old Ozark name right there. Come here, Cephas. All right. Cephas, and remained with him 15 days. Uh, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So, um, so in this, after those three years, Paul goes, and he actually sees Peter there. And he said, I didn't see many of the other leaders, but James, he saw James, who was the actual uh, church leader in Jerusalem. He saw him just for a few few moments or just a short time, but he, he actually spent 15 days with Peter there and the other apostles. I, I I don't think they were afraid of him, but I I think they were still concerned that Paul was still persecuting Christians. So I think they had. Can you understand their little apprehension there? Okay, I hope so. Okay, I don't think any of us have have nearly been killed because of our faith. All right. So uh, verse 20 says this. In in what. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Verse 21. Then I went uh, into the regions uh, of Syria and uh, Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in, uh, in Christ. So basically, this is what he's saying there. In that area, in the lower area where Jerusalem was, Judea, there was all these churches there. And guess what? Paul didn't have a name there. You know why? Because he's down in Jerusalem where, where, where you say Peter. They're like, oh, yeah, Peter, yeah. James, yeah. John, yeah. Don't really know who Peter or who Paul is at this point, okay? And so it's, it's the Jerusalem base versus the Antioch base. We talked about that. And so he was not known in Judea or Jerusalem churches in, and in some of the regions. People, they, they wondered about Paul. They, they looked at him. They were like, man, I, some of them were like, mm, I'm not sure about this guy. And then uh, others seem to glorif glorify God in him. So look at this. So chapter 2. We're going to jump to chapter 2 here. Can you believe it? We made it through the first chapter. I'm amazed. We, we're going to go a little further than the first chapter. All right. Uh, so Paul, uh, here in the second chapter, I mean, he really kind of moves forward here. Um, 
says this. Then after 14 years, I went up again. I want, I want to point this out. So 14 years, Paul is sitting idle, not doing any minute. Now, in, those, in that time frame, I'll give you the timeline if you want to write this down. Number one, Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. That's the first thing that just happened, okay? Uh, then he spends three years in Arabia, Sinai, being personally tutored by Jesus. I'm a little bit jealous of Paul on that one. I'm not going to lie. All right. Uh, but the disciples also spent three and a half years with Jesus, too. So I think that's pretty cool. And then he spends 15 days with Peter in Jerusalem. Then he heads back to Tarsus after a few small stops. And then for the next 11 years, you know what Paul does? He makes tents. Oh, man, I talked about it Sunday about waiting on the Lord, knowing your timing, knowing when it's time to go and when it's time not to. I don't know about you, but if I would spent three years with Jesus in, in the desert, I think it would be like, I think I'm okay to go preach the gospel because I just spent three years with Jesus out in the desert. That's my credentials. But you know what he does? I think he does something that's amazing here. He humbles himself, and he goes, and he starts making tents. That's what he did. That was his, that was his, his craft. That's what he did well. And so he did that for the next 11 years. And so there's a time frame if you, if you want to. You want to know what that time frame is from Acts chapter 3 to Acts chapter 11. Um, there's no mention of, of, of Paul. Well, actually, there's no mention of Paul in Acts chapter 1 and 2 either. But there's no mention of him. But during that time, that time, time span, Paul is out just making tents, just loving on God, making tents. Sometimes you feel like your life is mundane. How many feel like you go to work, feel like Paul, I'm making tents, same thing, over and over. Running these numbers again today, Lord. I'm doing this over and over, and what seems like idle. But here's what, how God works: revival begins to break out in Antioch. This is pretty cool. And the Jerusalem leaders send Bar uh, Barnabas up there to assess the situation. And Barnabas sees uh, the Grecian people who are Gentiles, and they're struggling with the Jewish uh, preachers that are going up there because the, the the Christian Jewish preachers that are going up there because they're um, you know, they have a tendency to kind of lean towards towards the law just a little bit. So these Grecian people, these Gentile people, they're not understanding all these traditions, not not catching what they're saying. So what do these Jewish leaders do? They, uh, they send Barnabas up there, and Barnabas is like, I know a guy. Paul, I got it. And, and he calls on Paul, and they, and, and they make a smart move, and they call on him because he was smart, he was bold, he was strong in faith. And in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 uh, through 26, you, you could read that. Paul uh, trusted God's timing. Some of you are waiting. Trust God's timing. Don't rush things. Trust God's timing. because. And when he did that, God used him in a mighty way that was beyond what anything that Paul ever thought he could, could be used. Look at this. So, so it says this, to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So there, he's on his way down after 14 years Kind of being on the sideline, he's going back down to Jerusalem to talk to the to the big wigs in Jerusalem. Who are the big wigs? Peter, James, the brother of Jesus, John. Not 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 John, John's brother James. All right, not not to get them confused. And he says this: uh, I I I went up because of the revelation set before them, uh, though privately before those who seemed influential. <clears throat> you know who he's talking about there, right? He doesn't call him by name. He meets with the group privately, Peter, James, and John. Uh, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running 
or had not run in vain. So Paul says this, I met with Peter, James, John, I met with them privately. I had this issue I wanted to discuss with them. How many know sometimes, whoo, Benjamin, this is good right here. We can learn a lot by addressing things privately instead of publicly always. Uh, I'm going to say something. Don't put it on Facebook. Why are you always in my problems? Because you're always throwing them out there. All right. I know that was, that was tough. Right? Or what about this? If you're upset with someone and publicly or whatever, and, and you have to let them know, you know, in the back of the church after, you know, people are up here trying to get saved and we're up here having our issue with someone. Privately, I like what Paul does here. I think he, in humility, he comes and he says, hey, listen, guys, I, I, we have this issue because there are Gentiles that are getting saved and, and they want to they want to know who Christ is. But they're struggling with the, with the kind of the way you're ministering. How many know sometimes certain ministers deal well with some people and certain ministries deal well with other type of people takes all kinds. So Paul's saying this and he's he's there and he's saying, listen, uh, whew, I'm going to say this, too. Being right, listen to this, listen to this. You, you should write this down. Being right about grace does not give you the right to be rude. Being right about grace does not give you the right to be rude. And instead of some people are like, well, you know, they'll, they'll almost taunt you and say, well, this is what the Bible says, blah, 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 blah. And they'll be rude to you about it. But can I tell you something? Paul did not do that. Paul went in and said, hey, let's have a closed-door meeting here. Let's talk this out. Let's, let's deal with this. Let's, let's, let's hash this out. So uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas and Titus, they shared their stories of how God was moving among the Gentiles, um, Peter, James, and, uh, to Peter, James, and John. It kind of reminds me, I have some friends, uh, a lot of friends in Brazil when I went to Brazil. First time I met these Brazilian people, I was in California, and, and we were at a conference, and they were standing by the exit of the door, and they were all sitting there. Of course, they all speak Portuguese. Anybody speak Portuguese in here? I didn't think so. All right. And, and they're just sitting there, you know, and everyone's just kind of hustling, bustling, going by, and I'm like, I'm like, hey. And they're like, we don't know what you're saying. And then their interpreter, like, comes up, and I begin to talk to them, and I begin to have a conversation with them. And I learned something, you know, um, it's kind of like, kind of like the Brazilians coming to America when they see uh, the churches in America, how they, how they're doing things, you know, and how we do things. And then when I went to Brazil, guess what? It was eye-opening to me because I saw that they were having revival and, and God was moving in an amazing way down there. And, and, and sometimes different isn't wrong. It may look different, but they're both effective because guess what? We're covering a lot of ground. Verse 4, uh, or, or verse 3 says this, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. So what's the point here? Why do we care about Titus being circumcised or not being circumcised? Look at this. So you got to remember who Paul's writing to. He's writing to the Galatians. The Galatians are being infiltrated by this, this Christian Jude Jewish group that's coming in. They're saying, hey, you have to be circumcised. But Paul's saying, hey, listen. To what those guys are saying, I met with Peter, James, and John, the leaders of that of, of the Jerusalem church. And guess what? Titus was, was with me, and he's a Greek. And when we met, not one of them said, hey, Titus, to be saved, you gotta, you got to go be circumcised. 
So he's talking there to the Galatians. So, and here, and James would, would go on to deal with this in the book of Acts and, and put it at rest finally. Uh, verse 4 says this, yet because a false brother secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. So, so there's those hard-nosed Jewish leaders, not Peter, James, and John, but these, these group of people that are following Paul, and they're preaching the three R's, the rule, regulations, and rituals. And oftentimes when God is moving, people, <laughs> mm, whew, I'm going to say this, I'm, I'm bold tonight, I'm sorry. If, if it hurts, it hurts, all right. <laughs> Oftentimes when God is moving, people in certain churches or certain groups of people, I'm not going to throw every church under the bus, will send spies in to find faults with churches and not the fruits of the church. Oh, man. And let me, let me just say this. If you're looking, or I pray, I pray if you're looking for a church, I pray that you make this your church home. But listen, don't judge a, a church by its faults. Judge a, a church by its fruits. And my our tendency is, oh, well, I don't like that church because they don't have a good kids program or their worship is not this or that pastor's too long-winded. And we'll find every fault, but we won't look at, are people being saved? Are people being baptized? Are lives being changed? Are people being broke from bondages? That's the things that you should be looking for in a church. All right. So, uh, so off, and so here's these spies. They're coming in, and they're 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 infiltrating. They're looking for faults. So, verse five says this: uh, "To them, we did not yield submission even for a moment." So Paul's like, "No, we're not going to back up at all. We're not we're not going to fall to them, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved to you." So the gospel of Jesus was radical, and and Paul, and Paul uh, consistently and constantly held his ground. To all these, I would call them Judaizers. I don't even know if that's a real word. I made it up. Judaizers, okay? Is that a real word? Someone help me. Who's my, where's my English teacher? All right. Anyways, these people that were giving him fits. Uh, before Jesus came, look at this. This is good, too. Before Jesus came, there were Jews and Gentiles. And after the blood of Jesus was spilt on the cross and rose again, there are no longer Jews and Gentiles, but there is one church, and that's the church of Jesus Christ. God takes things and brings them together. Now, we live in a society right now where everything likes to be split, right? Vaccinated, not vaccinated, by race. All my yellow people here, all my black people here, all my white people here, right? Separation. But let me tell you how God works. When we all get to heaven, guess what? All races will be there. All political views will probably be there. I, I hope so. <laughs> I don't want to say all of them, but maybe maybe uh, that there will be different people. God brings things together in unity. Verse 6 says this, and to those who seem to be influential, what, are, uh, what, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. So what is, what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying some pretty strong words here. He doesn't call them out by name, but he's saying this. I met the leaders of the Jerusalem church. I met Peter. I met James, and I met John. Let me tell you something. They didn't add anything to me. Pretty big statement, right? It's a pretty bold statement to say. And now, he doesn't go out and just call them by name, but but how, how uh, it, it, it's, Paul is saying it's easy. 
here's, here's what he's, he's saying. You've got to hear his heart. Here's what he's simply saying. Paul's saying this. It's easy to get starstruck sometimes by people in ministry who may seem influential. Right? You ever met someone famous? Not, not just a, a, a Christian person. You ever met someone famous? Anybody ever met someone famous? All right. Who, who'd you meet? Robert Kennedy. That's pretty awesome. Who else? Anybody else? No one else meet anybody famous? Zach from Saved by the Bell. Is he all right because he's Saved by the Bell? He has better hair than me. Um, so I met, I met Marcus Allen one time in the airport. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm looking at this guy. And this lady comes up and starts talking to him. And I'm looking at him. He's sitting across from me. I'm like, I said, who are you? He goes, you think I'm going to say that out loud in the airport? And I went over and talked to him. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> I'm Marcus Allen. <gasps> really? That's cool. How many of you have ever got starstruck when you meet someone famous? I remember one time I was going into a conference. And this big conference had a lot of people there. And I'm just walking in, minding my own business, doing my own thing. And here I am. And then I hear this lady say, hey, Joyce. And I turn and look. Joyce Myers is right here, walking right here beside me. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I said, hey, how are you? And she looked at me and smiled. She would not know me from anyone else in the world. I promise you that that, that moment didn't make a difference to her. But oftentimes we get starstruck and we are like, whoa, that's cool. But Paul's saying this, hey, don't hold anyone up in high esteem because guess what? God may be using them to be influencers, but can I tell you something? The same grace that saved me saved them. They're saved by grace. They were once sinners. So they're no better than me. And so that's what Paul said. You've got to hear his heart there. He's not saying, hey, hey, those guys are no better than, than me, and they're no better than you. And Paul would say the same thing about, about himself. Listen, it's not about me. It's about Christ within me. Verse 7 says this. On the contrary, when they, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to, be, uh, to the uncircumcised, talking about the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, talking about Peter was talking to the Jewish Christians. For he who worked through Peter uh, for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through mine to the Gentiles. So the same Jesus that's working through Peter is the same Jesus that's working through Paul. That's what he's saying. You know, the same Jesus that works through uh, uh, Stephen Furtick is the same Jesus that works through you. The same Jesus that works through uh, Franklin Graham is the same Jesus that works through you. It's true. So Paul's saying, hey, don't get all starstruck. Don't get all, get all crazy. Listen, no, who, no, don't make idols out of people. And most of those people that say, don't make an idol out of me. I'm just a human being. I make mistakes daily. Verse 9, and when James and Cephas and John, Cephas, uh, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. So there they are, you know, James and John and Cephas. And they're like, yes, put it here, Paul. Pull it in, buddy. We're with you. We're with you. Uh, fellowship uh, to Barnabas and to me. And, and that we should go to the Gentiles and... And they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So Paul's account here is Acts chapter 15. If you go there, that's where the Jerusalem Council met. And these guys, this is that, that meeting. And after hearing Paul's radical change and his gospel, they said, hey, 
we'll stay here in Jerusalem and preach to the Jews of the surrounding area. And guess what? Paul, you go up to Antioch, you, you go reach to the Gentiles. Um, and so Peter, James, and John, uh, they, they did say, they said this, and this is amazing to me. Hey, hey uh, Paul, don't forget the poor. That was the one thing they told him. Don't, don't forget the poor. Guess where the poor were? us here okay when you're up at Antioch with all the Gentiles where all the money's rolling hey don't forget about us over here and so they did say this I think that's kind of funny so four players here I'm gonna gonna give you something in in this New Testament drama so there's Peter Paul James and John and I I just want to point this out to you look at this Peter is the apostle of uh, of order being more uh, orderly in his approach he talks about Jesus as the bishop of our soul uh, Peter could be described uh, the leader of the liturgi- liturgical church, or uh, he had a distinctly Jewish flair in his approach, okay, if you, if you want to break him down, okay. So Peter is the apostle of order. Look at this. Paul was the apostle of candor. Uh, he was in your face. That's the way he liked it. He was a renegade. Hey, I'm going to tell you what's up. You're wrong. This is what Jesus said. I don't care. <laughs> I think he had that court personality. He's like, I'm going to tell you what I think. I don't care what you think about me. See you later. Paul could be identified as a leader of, uh, for us, to, if you want a reference, he could be kind of a leader of an evangelical, evangelical type of church. Now look at this. John was the apostle of passion. We talked about him being the apostle of love. He was caught up in heaven in, in a revelation. So, so what, what, you know, kind of Paul, his, his whole thing was uh, mystical. What do you mean by that? Read Revelation. He saw a lot of weird stuff in dreams and things, and so in interpreting those things, so he was he was kind of he would see visions, or or he was Pentecostal by nature, I guess you could kind of say. What about this, James, the apostle of action? I love James, the brother of Jesus. I love because he's not he's not a guy that sits on his hands. He's pure uh, pure undefiled religion is this: visit the orphans, visit the widows. Don't tell me that you're a believer. Show me. Get to work. Let's get some action. And, he's, and that's just who he was. So what kind of church, so we look at those four different things. What kind of church are we here at Cornerstone Worship Center? And I say, yes. Yes. What do you mean? How can you answer that? I say this. We're the church that Jesus Christ has called to be. We're not, we're not a, a, a Peter-style church. We're not a Paul-style church. We're not, we're, we're not a John-style church. We're not a James-style church. We're all of them. Working together, We're, we should be walking in love. We should be walking in passion. We should. Uh, there's certain things in tradition that we should do. Should we fall always to tradition? No. Should we be reaching and preaching the gospel like Paul? Yes. So I say this. As our church, my heart is this. Hey, Lord, let us be all of those. Because you could find those churches. If you, if you wanted to, you could probably pull out your, your you could look up churches. On your, in, in Bloomington or Bedford, and you could probably identify those churches. That's that kind of church. That's that kind of church. That's that kind of church. Guess what kind of church I want to be? The church that Jesus called us to be, the Acts chapter 2, Acts, the Acts church. Amen? All right. So it says this. So uh, how much time do I got here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to cruise through here. Uh, verse, verse 11 says this. But when Cephas came to Antioch, um, Peter left Jerusalem. He traveled north to Antioch. So uh, so Paul had been been down in Jerusalem. So now Peter's going up to Antioch. Uh, he says this second part of that. I oppose him to his face. Okay, I, I just want to point this out. Peter, fisherman. Most people believe he was a pretty big guy, pretty tall. 
tall, short, probably bald, crooked nose, probably a little hunched over, little short guy. So Paul says this, hey, when, when Peter came up here to Antioch, I, I got in his face. And he gets in his face for a good reason here, okay? Uh, uh, how many love a good drama? Oh, some of you are lying right now. You know why you watch uh, reality TV? Because it's drama. So here's some drama right here. He opposed Peter to his face, and Paul confronts him uh, while he's in Antioch. Paul's like, okay, you're up here at Antioch now. You're on my turf. We're going to address this. That's that that tenacity that Paul has. Uh, Because here's the thing. It says this, because he stood condemned. And and oftentimes, mm, the Roman Catholics believe Peter to be the first pope. And this was proof that he was capable of making mistakes because I'm going to show you here in Scripture. Uh, By the way, uh, I'm just going to say this. I'm already picked on other religions. Popes are just humans, okay? They make mistakes. All right, so I'm going to leave that right there. They need the grace of Jesus as well. Verse 12 says this. For before uh, certain men came from James, the early church, uh, they had these things, agape feast. I like that. They would get together. They would have food. How many would love to just have a love feast, like where you just have a bunch of food, all of us get to eat? They would pull all the resources together, rich, poor, everybody. Hey, we're just all going to eat together. So when he was there uh, eating with the Gentiles, Peter was there. He's eating with the Gentiles. And Jewish tradition, and Paul would know this out of anybody, held that significance to whom you shared a meal with. You didn't just share a meal with somebody. Jews we're not allowed to share a meal with Gentiles. And so Peter broke that tradition while he's up in Antioch. Hey, I'm not in Jerusalem. I don't have to, I'm just going to live my life up here, right? And so he's up there, and he's eating with the Gentiles, and he's eating the food of the Gentiles. What's he eating? I don't know, a bacon cheeseburger. Been wanting to put bacon on my burgers for a long time, guys. I'm in Antioch now, so I can do this. Look at this. But when they came, he, uh, so, but when they came talking about the Jewish believers, Peter did this. He drew back and he separated himself, fearing, uh, fearing the, circum- uh, the circumcision party. And here, when Peter saw these, the Jewish guys, he's like, ooh, exit stage left. Because I can't be seen with these guys because of this. So verse 13 says this. And the rest of the Jews acted uh, hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy, verse 14, but when, they, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Cephas, uh, no, I said to Cephas before them all, if, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter, you ate alongside us. That's what Paul's saying. You ate right here with all us Gentiles. I saw that bacon on your burger, bro. Baconator. All right. And then and Paul says, Peter, if you, a Jew, can't even keep these rules and regulations of Judaism, how can you expect Gentiles to keep them? Woo. That makes no sense, Peter. How are you expecting people to do this? And let me, I'm going to give you this point. You can write this down. Hypocrisy tries to make others do what we ourselves cannot. And that's, what, that's where he's at. And so, so Peter's there. Sometimes leaders make mistakes and sometimes they fall. And they, Peter finds himself in this moment where he was eating with the Gentiles. And when the Jews come in, he's like, ooh, I got to get out of here because I, I can't be seen here. Look at this. Verse 15 says this. We ourselves are Jews by birth. 
and not Gentile sinners. He's talking to him and Peter right there. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith of Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Peter, hey, why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? Or why are you advocating the rebirth of religion? Why are you going back to the old way the old laws, uh, and, and, and we Jews, we couldn't even keep these rules and regulations. And can I tell you this? Man is justified by faith. Look at this. I, I want to show you this. Martin Luther would approve of, of, of this message right here. As a matter of fact, he loved the book of Galatians, the great reformer. He didn't have much to do with the book of James, but he liked Galatians, all right? Uh, so simply put, you know, here's the thing. As believers, we can work our fingers to the bone. And we can do everything to try to earn God's favor. But listen, we cannot do it on our own. It takes God's grace, his unmerited favor, unearned and undeserved favor in our lives. Simply put, his favor is, is not for sale by our good works. Um, and that's why so many are dismayed and believe the lie of being a good person will get them into heaven. That's how I know by just being a good person, you're not going to get into heaven. You have to have Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. Verse 17 says this, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners in Christ, then a servant of sin. He says, certainly not. Peter, if we eat with sinners, does that make us sinners? Was Christ a sinner? Did he eat with sinners? Of course he wasn't. It's not what goes in a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man that defiles him. You, Mark chapter 7, verse 18 through 23, you, you can look that up. Verse 18 says this, For I, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So, uh, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to this. Teachers, leaders, if you're in here, you're saved by the grace of God. And um, the cross is the finished work. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Jesus completed it. I, if, I, if I preach a different doctrine than, than what Paul's saying here, then, I, then I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Uh, and, and grace is, 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 n is not obligation, but it's a privilege. Grace is not an obligation. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that we have. And we don't do things because we have to. Grace makes us do things because we get to. There, there's a difference. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I know we're going a little bit long tonight, but hey, stick with me. Stick with me. Verse 19. For though the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So the law is no longer a factor in my life is what Paul's saying. Okay. I want, I want to point this out. I tried to keep it for years and finally it did me and I realized I was working myself to death and I could not keep up. How many have ever felt like that? In your life, you're trying. God, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And God's like, I have grace. Stop trying. I have grace. I will help you along. Verse 20 says this. I have been, look, look, look. Oh, we all know this verse. Read it with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How many know that verse? I love that verse. So look at this. The law 
pointed to Jesus. And so it did its job. Can I tell you something? It did its job in Paul's life. And listen, what the law does is it pointed towards Jesus. And when Jesus came, he didn't come and do away with the law. He fulfilled the law. Okay? A lot of people say that. I was talking to a guy the other day at a store, and he said, hey, I'll agree with you as long as you talk to me about the New Testament. And I said, oh, you need to go back. You need to look at this verse in Matthew 5, 17, because Jesus didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. Okay? He fulfilled it. So the law fulfilled its purpose when it showed you and it showed me that it's not by external rules and regulations and rituals, but it's by my relationship with Jesus Christ. Last verse. Here we go. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Look at this. The King James Version says this. It says, Lane, you have your Bible? Do you have a King James? ESV today? Okay. Uh, the King James, I, I, I call them out every time. Uh, the King James Version says, do not frustrate the grace of God. That's what it says. Do not frustrate the grace of God. Let me give you an example of what that is. How many have ever been out to eat with somebody, okay, and you're just out to eat, and you're like, they're like, I'm going to pay that bill. And then you're like, no, I'm going to pay that bill. And you're, you're just fighting over who's going to pay the bill. You know what I do? I'm like, okay, yeah, you go ahead and pay that bill. I'm just kidding. Sometimes. No, but, uh, but, but how many have ever been in that, that where you're like, I'm going to pay the bill. I'm going to pay the bill. I'm going to pay the bill. And what happens with us when we, when we don't understand grace, God's like, I've already paid this bill. And we're sitting there trying to grab the check. It's like, it's by what I'm doing, God. It's by how I'm living and how I'm working. And I'm working my fingers. And God's like, it's already been paid. You don't understand. You just need to accept it. So grace is this. We'll end on this. Unmerited and undeserved and unearned favor from God. You can't work for it. You just got to accept it. You just got to believe it in your heart. I, I, how many are, are grateful for a champion like Paul who championed grace? Man, I, I, I'm, so, I'm so grateful for grace. And grace means this. We are free from sin, not to sin. Let me pray with you.